0: Well, there were three men come out of the west, their fortunes for to try. And these three men made a solemn vow: John Balicorne must die. They ploughed, they sowed, they platted him in broadcloth, all on his head. Then these three men made a solemn oath. John Barleycorn was dead They've let him lie for a very long time Till the rain
1: from heaven did pour Then little Sir John, has raised his head Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is week two of a two-part podcast with Will Parsons, the co-founder of the British Pilgrimage Trust. But first... This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, and the Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe. The remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred beneath a breathtaking cathedral in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela. Santiago is where most pilgrims finish the Camino. It's where you take stock after walking, in some cases, thousands of kilometres. But the most popular route is what's called the Camino Frances, which begins at Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port on the French side of the Pyrenees. The first day sees you climb up and over the Alps. and I can tell you it's not for the faint-hearted, but you will reap rewards from making the effort. I remember seeing a little statue of Mary perched on the cliffside, staring back at me, wishing me the best for what lay ahead. A pilgrimage. Just so wonderful. And I remember thinking, I guess I'm officially a pilgrim now. (laughs) Well, even though we can't really get to Spain or Portugal or France or Italy or the Netherlands or the UK, the Pilgrim Network is humming right around the world. And it hums with the energy of all of our collective journeys shared, of continued communication, of love, of understanding, of the idea of one day returning to the Camino and planning. I think we all love to plan and I'm sure we all love to pray because we all know that that Camino is waiting there for us and we're all yearning to return. I spoke last week with Will Parsons, the co-founder of the British Pilgrimage Trust, We ended up speaking for almost two hours, so I decided to make it a double episode. The American philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson, who lived from 1803 to 1882, said, What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. It's never truer than in our conversation this week, the second instalment of a Double Camino podcast episode. I began by asking about Added meaning. I've read a piece in the British Telegraph where you outline Britain's top 20 pilgrimage walks, one with spiritual heritage and literary added Mm -hmm. meaning. And I think Mm -hmm. we can all imagine the spiritual and heritage aspect of those journeys. But how do you define the literary aspect, I suppose? And what do you mean by added
2: meaning? Well, okay, the literary aspect... You know, for the British landscape is is rich with story. Wherever you go, you can if you if you do a little bit of research, you can find. You know, oh, this this looks like an ordinary field, but actually, it's the site of a great battle between these kings, and right. also this yeah. this poet walked along that line of trees yeah. there when he was writing this poem, and it, it's you can't really avoid that stuff because we're such a little nation, and you know this. We have made an effort to conserve a lot of our landscape in some sort of a, you know, in some sort of green beauty, to a degree. And those stories and those traditions are are everywhere. And so, for a lot of pilgrims today, the literary aspect—you um, know, a lot of people want to go for these journeys. They want to immerse themselves in landscape. They want to have a physical and mental, and emotional experience of a pilgrimage. But as I say, a lot of people. Find it difficult to engage with religion, organised religion, religious identity. The Brits have still got a sort of inherited toxicity toward yeah. that. There's a, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, a Tudor taboo, you might say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, So, so the literary angle on pilgrimage lets people say, "Well, I want to, I want to walk, you know, and engage with the Shakespeare tradition or the uh, you know, your favourite author." They, they often most. Authors were famous walkers as well. There's something about walking and creativity that go hand in hand. So there's a, there's a number of trails around Britain which allow you to engage with that that layer of heritage. Or, you know, even if they're not specifically authorial, you can generally find a, a cultural or literary aspect to mm. most roots in Britain. You, think, you, you can't really avoid the stories in Britain. They're just, you, you know, tripping over them. <laughs> they're everywhere. I love um, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah and as you know meaning meaning is something that I, it's not really a word that actually i want to delve into too deeply i think we might get tangled it's a bit like talking about consciousness it's a mm. you know i'm not quite sure where we'll end up with that but as an example of what you might say is a, a journey of meaning and pilgrimage can i just give you an example of, of a of a walk that i made in in 2018 as a sort of a. would love you to sorry, 20, 2016 as a sort of way to to yeah. try and create a painting picture. To. Yeah. so okay 2016 it's a hundred year anniversary of the writing or the release of britain's unofficial uh, national anthem the song jerusalem and of did Course. those feet in ancient times which is sung at you know, every rugby match, yeah. the Boy Scouts, the Women's Institutes, uh, mm. the sort of big funerals, the big royal weddings. It's just that song that, well, you can't avoid it, really. Uh, we'd Love It or Hate It, everyone knows it. It's really our national song. Um, and not many people know that, you know, obviously the words were written by William Blake, the famous visionary poet. But not many people know the melody was written by Hubert Parry or as a commission for the World War One Propaganda Bureau, Wellington House. And it was 1916. We'd just lost an awful lot of men at the Somme. And the stories had finally actually come back through the newspapers that, you know, this wasn't a rosy war. And, you know, all the letters and telegrams had come back to the mothers and fathers and sisters and and lovers and and wives saying, yeah, no, he's not coming back and the body's not coming back either. And so no one wanted to sign up anymore and join the war because it looked like a passport to a really... Horrible death, so there was a crisis in recruitment in the British Army in 1916. So they got Hubert Parry to try and, and write a rousing song and set it to Blake's poetry. And Parry was a you know pro-European. He hated the war. He loved Wagner, German culture. He, he loved the European unity idea. And but he was obviously you know a patriot, and he did. He was a good a good Londoner, and he did what he was asked, and he wrote a, a sort of banging melody. So. I wanted to make a pilgrimage that celebrated that song and investigated the landscape. So it began in London at you know, the birth the birthplace of William Blake and Hubert Parry and also the place where they lived their whole lives and also the place where they both buried. Um, Blake in a, in the non-conformist cemetery at the time with an unmarked grave and Parry in St Paul's in all pomp, you know, and all yeah. high ceremony, yeah. all the flagstones. And so it was a journey from there because they're both Londoners their whole lives and yet Seven miles apart and 117 years apart, down on the Sussex coast. That's where Blake wrote the lyrics. And one time in his life, he left London. He went to the Sussex coast and came up with this particular bit of poetry. And same with Parry. Like, he only had one home outside of London, mm-hmm. and it was down on the Sussex coast. They are really close, seven miles apart, 117 years. And I don't, I don't know if they knew, or Parry, anyway, knew of Blake's... Um, so with closeness, with proximity. But anyway, so it was a journey from London to Sussex to investigate and to celebrate this song. And it took us uh, via the, the piano that Parry composed the melody onto the hilltop that Blake said was, you know, inspired him in various ways to the, um, the, the chapel where Blake was tried for sedition and almost hanged for, um, for saying damn the King, which back in those days was a hanging offense, saying mm-hmm. damn the King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and it, it took us all the way between those two places. And you, you know the song Jerusalem. Of course. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah, just you know, you never know. Um, well, as an investigation into British pilgrimages, one of the roots of British pilgrimage is the myth or the legend or the idea that Jesus visited the UK. You know, and did those speak in ancient times walk on in- England's mountains green? There's a story that. Jesus traveled with his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, who was known to be a tin trader. And tin was, you know, a relatively you know, wealthy, trading tin was quite a wealthy occupation. Joseph and, and Britain had some of the earliest tin mines in Cornwall and in Somerset. And there's a legend in, in the Glastonbury monks, especially promoted this legend, that Jesus and Joseph of Arimathea visited Glastonbury. And, you know, Josie planted this famous thorn tree on Weary Oil Hill, which flowers at Christmas. And it's still there, and a spray of that, those flowering hawthorn um, flowers are sent to the Queen every Christmas still. Um, wow. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that legend, which inspired a lot of the, the Glastonbury pilgrimage, um, you know, because obviously monks or pilgrimage sites, it's really important to attract pilgrims. If you can attract the pilgrim, you attract the money, you attract, the trade, you track the growth, and so there was quite a there was quite a, a heritage of monks stealing relics from each other because they said if, if you can get away with it, it meant the saint the saint agreed. You <laughs> know, God 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 and the saint were up for it if you could have effectively steal the bones. So there was this this um, anyway. That as well as Somerset down in Cornwall, they reckon that the oldest tin mine in Britain is called the Ding Dong Mine, and there's all these local traditions of Jesus visiting there as well. So that is one of the roots of the pilgrimage tradition in Britain, the fact that, you know, the Christian pilgrimage tradition, at least, the fact that Jesus actually himself walked here. Um, And and there are various saints, they say, also possibly visited, British saints and saints from further afield. Um, So so, um, I wanted to investigate the song through that tradition, but it's an incredibly martial song. You know, bringing my sword, my spear, my bow, my chariot, and there's this—the fact that the song "Jerusalem," which has been so so integral to British identity, was written as a World War One recruitment propaganda song. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's all about you know the ultimate pilgrim in Britain, but it's also incredibly military. This 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 really brought home to me the the fact that you know pilgrimage also gave us the Crusades. It was also the crusades were described as a pilgrimage at the time, and the infrastructure of Europe that pilgrimage created. The roads, the first banks were were made in order yeah. to,
1: yeah,
2: uh, in order to give them um, you know letters of credit for pilgrims who were on yeah. their way across Europe, so you could quite you didn't have to carry gold with you because obviously you'd be robbed within a minute if you carried a hundred piece of gold. So, so and the espionage network, the military groups like the the Templars, who are you know incredibly important for unifying certain aspect of European organization. Their, their core purpose was protecting pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem. The pilgrimage has given us an empire, you know. We never really, uh, the Europeans, the, the English anyway, we, ne- we never really strove beyond conquering bits of Spain and France and yeah. Scotland and Wales. Yeah. But then suddenly with this, you know, Jerusalem consciousness, which is, you know, when the Empress Helena, she started that, I've gone to Jerusalem and she found, you know, the true cross, the sites of the Bible, and suddenly, Good Christians needed to control Jerusalem. That began the whole empire drive for mm. Britain. So so much came from this really beautiful instinct, this impulse yeah. to to make pilgrimage. But so much came from that, which is dare I say, of questionable virtue. You know, I, I don't know to what degree all of those things have always helped us. In terms of, you know, Jerusalem, the song, it's it's again this yeah. similar controversy. Like It came from a World War I recruiting yeah. song. So, and, and when you get through the lyrics, you know, they're all about basically making war. And of course, as a tin trader, Joseph of his main market, the main use of tin in Roman-occupied Palestine was to sell to the Romans to make bronze. And bronze is what they used for their knives, their shields, and their darts. Yeah, yeah, right. To some degree... He was traveling with an arms trader <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Was a, it, if you look at it that way, and and there's this this inevitable link in 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 our reality or between spirituality and militarism which it's really hard to unpick the two they they just can't they, they seem to go together and one of the, the standout memories for me from that journey from that pilgrimage was there had been a um, ladybirds there'd been a bloom of ladybirds but you not just the red and black ones but the yellow and black ones too
1: yeah yeah. and
2: i remember people saying to me you know oh look at those yellow and black ones they're the european ones they're the foreign ones they're poisonous they bite you (laughs) and and they're killing all our red and black ones if you see any of them you want to kill them ones and and it just made me think of the first world war we had these cousins you know the germans are christians english are christians they were you know Often related families overlapped, yeah. and yet there they were in muddy ditches, killing each other. Yeah. Um, and it just makes no sense. And there's something—the investigation of that and the nexus of the song in the midst of that—was an incredibly powerful pilgrimage experience, and, and quite a dark one, if I'm honest with you. You know, not ended up. It wasn't the most joyful thing. It was, mm. but it, but yeah, that's that's the sort of pilgrimage i've been trying to make to uh, to actually connect with the, the stuff of britain and try and engage with you know who we are where we're going and what we're doing and because pilgrimage is is a key to to much more than just the personal landscape it's a it's a key to to our social communities it's a, it's a key to our relationship with nature as well as a key to our spiritual yeah. destiny in my opinion
1: you know you talked there about um the the trenches and um i went Mm -hmm. to light a candle um Mm -hmm. in my house this week in fact i was i was lighting two candles and the first one i light, and and my uh, and and my son said oh Mm -hmm. just why don't you light the third one off the third and i said no 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 you mustn't ever light something with a match on three occasions and he said what are you talking about Mm -hmm. i said well in the trenches the first like they could see the light, the second one they could take aim and the third one they could fire.
2: Wow, I didn't know that one, You never, ever like
1: anything of the third match because that's the ultimate worst karma and worst um, ever. Wow. Yeah, and my son was saying, can you imagine that? (laughs) I say, no, I I can't. We can't. We can't. To be months and months and months. In a muddy trench, wondering what on earth you had,
2: well, not necessarily even signed up for, but what your country had signed you up for. That was the irony. By 1916, they didn't even need the song Jerusalem anymore because they introduced conscription. Precisely.
1: I mean, it's it's preposterous. Let's not get into that. But...
2: I, 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 well, no, I, I love it. I love that you got into that, Dan, because we can't. We, we—that's what we do. We say, let's not get into that, and somehow we've never really dealt with that. I think it's one of the great traumas of our society that we is. still, you know, we habitually forget. I mean, look—the poppy. That's our memorial. Mm. Poppy is a symbol of forgetfulness. You know, the wars of the leafy. its 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 mm. not something you remember with. It's something you mm. forget with. Mm. And for the first eighty years of the poppy appeal. You know, obviously a lot of the work they do is fantastic. I'm not, you know, anti-British Legion in any way or, you know, some really memorials, incredibly important. But for the first 80 years, inside the little black bit at the heart of the poppy, it said the Hague Fund. And Douglas Hague was known as the Butcher of the Somme. He was our Commander-in-Chief. Mm. Who just He's the chap who said, I know it didn't work last time, but we're going to get them to walk slowly forward after the whistle towards machine guns and mm. I think it might work this time and mm. he refused to change his tactic mm. and hundreds of thousands of you know mm. the, 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 our fathers and grandfathers and cousins mm. and uncles and husbands and brothers and sons just just died in yeah. this machinery of war well, um, in terms of healing we had moss yeah, 100,000 tons yeah. of sphagnum moss we didn't have antibiotics we didn't have anaesthetics we had sores and moss I mean we were so good at killing but we were so bad at healing mm. and that's Wow. You know, that's not, we're what not, we're not done line. with that yet.
1: Yeah. Well, well Australia, st- Australia acknowledges Anzac Day on the day that we lost all of those men.
2: Yeah.
1: At Gallipoli, so means- at Gallipoli following British, yeah. <laughs> you know, the British yeah, no, exactly. commanders sent us in for, for a completely preposterous campaign. Yeah. Gosh.
2: I mean, and that's, I, I, I feel that pilgrimage possibly offers us the capacity as a, as, as nations and as a species even, to actually give ourselves the space to properly grieve and to properly look at some of those traumas that we've gone through. I mean, one of the great motivations of pilgrimage throughout history, throughout cultures, has been healing. Mm. You know, and healing mm. comes from, the, the word <laughs> itself, healing, is, is a beautiful word. It comes from the Old English halik, which um, it can be roughly translated as wholeness or holiness. It gave us the word health. And healing as well. In its 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 nearest living descendant is hail in the Scots, hail and hearty. It's not you know healing and holy and wholeness and holistic all come from the same place. And for us to be a wholesome and holistic and healed society, we need to face those wounds and allow them the you know the the time and the the motion and and the, the spiritual waters that flow over and to run them clean. And we haven't yet done that. We're too busy trying to forget in the name of remembrance, I believe. So that leads straight on to the other the best thing I did with the British Pilgrimage Trust was, you know, this this pilgrimage called a Hundred Silences to commemorate the end of the war because commemoration is pilgrimage is not just to a place, but also you can make pilgrimage to a time. Yeah. You know, there can be which is incredibly effective and it's a way to really again tune up those strings and make your journey sing even more strongly and i i was it's a a huge privilege but back in 2018 to carry soil from arras ypres and the somme um and because you know our lads were never brought home is it the same in australia did the bodies ever come home yeah they're they're still there
1: they're still yeah, there. So they're all buried there. Yeah. 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 There's and a campaign the at, at the moment. Is, yeah. Yeah. No. No. it, it Yeah. They're still there. Yeah.
2: It's huge. I mean, what mm. a wound. They never even got to say goodbye. Not see the bodies. Like, nothing. You know that that cheery. Off they went singing songs, happy, oh. and and oh. nothing. None yeah. came back. And we have these war memorials in every town, every village, mm. listing the names. Yeah. But they're simply stone. They're repositories of grief, but without. they're not these boys aren't there it's not like a grave or you know a, a shrine where the bodies lie we can actually connect with some sense of the physical reality so i wanted to for the commemoration of the armistice take the soil from these battle sites and just leave a little bit of it these three battle sites at all these war memorials between southampton which is where so many british lads departed from and dover where they, where Whoa. the only body who came back, which was the unknown soldier, you know, he's the only, yeah. the only body we officially brought back, and then on to Westminster Abbey, and just dropping at all these memorials, 100 war memorials, this, just leaving behind a, a little bit of, of the actual dust of the lads themselves, but it would be mixed up, you know, it'd be German as well as, as well as Australian, as well as as English, Welsh, and the rest, and French, so it's all in there, you know, because ultimately that is. Really, you know, the wholeness that we're going to have to reach with this war memorial stuff is sort of forgiving and loving each other. You know, we, we're no longer at war with German. It's it's not, you know, those old battle lines are no longer drawn. We need to now get over that. Although England struggles, you know, we are still, two World Wars and one World Cup, you know, it's, we're still in that space, a lot of us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that, that pilgrimage for me mm-hmm. was... A deeply important effort, you know. And I mean, what did I achieve? I don't know. I didn't really balm any great tensions, but I wanted to, and and, and it helped me to some degree. Um, but, but, but you know, it was singing Silent Night in German and English at West, Westminster Abbey at the the tomb of the Unknown Warrior, and leaving these these black soil from the lads to join that soldier in this sort of perpetual memorial. And and I. I it's what you know what can you do and that that's pilgrimage gave me the opportunity to to offer that toward the wow. wholeness that we desperately need and that's what i want to say about pilgrimage is it's an incredibly powerful tool wow. that we can all you know create meaning as as you mentioned earlier it, it, it's 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 an open healing ritual that is not just for self, for not just, although it's very important for your body, for your mind, for your emotions, it's not just for your community, it's not just for, uh, you know, healing wounds within your family, but it's, uh, or, 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 or the ecological thing, or the, or the spiritual thing, but it's this, this pan-human wholeness goal that you can also, you know, go for, if you want, in pilgrimage, that's, that's another potential mode, and that's, you know, be ambitious, if you, if you want to heal a big ancient wound, Go for it. That's that's what I would yeah. like to say. You can give it a crack. You know, you'll obviously fail, yeah. but that's part of it. You know, it doesn't matter. But if you're open, <laughs> you to,
1: he, open to healing, who knows? If you're open yes, to healing, yes, open to healing yourself. Perhaps you can heal others, and then perhaps that healing can healing can spread. I mean, why not start with yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, or, or yeah, that's how we often do it. But also, uh, I'd like to say, also, if you can try and. You know, not make it about yourself, but make it about the the, the million dead of mm. you know a hundred years ago. Then perhaps we need to like look at our ancestral work as much yeah. as our own personal modern stuff in order to to reach that balance and harmony yeah. that you know will help us in the present and and going forward.
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, you said I, I I saw that a post you wrote. Um, it was a footprint. And you said mm. our earliest ancestors in Britain left behind one thing, footprints. Wayfaring mm. is our species' oldest tradition. 850,000-year-old footprints found on the Essex yeah. coast at Haysborough. Uh, yeah. Can I tell Sorry, you? Sorry, Norfolk. I've got that wrong. Norfolk. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I often get can can I here. tell you? I spent mm. a weekend in Haysborough. In Norwich in 2000. A friend of mine was married in an old barn there and I was his best man. I Mm. flew in to Heathrow and then Victoria Station. (laughs) It was a Friday afternoon. And then I flew back to Sydney on Sunday night. So I literally went to Haysborough for the weekend from Sydney. Wow, the
2: oldest the oldest side of pilgrimage and wayfaring in the British Isles. And there you were from Australia.
1: There I was. So now let me ask you the question. This is a very general question, but I'm looking forward to your answer. What is wayfaring?
2: Mm. Wayfaring is the, uh, as far as I can tell, it's the grandparent tradition from which all other walking traditions, including pilgrimage, derive. You know, we are, as a species, our first, when we, when we, when we stopped being monkeys if i don't know how you know evolutionary speaking when we stopped apparently our ancestors were less complex societies than mm. we are now and less mm. complex biological um, creatures we stood up that was one of the first distinctions and life hacks one of our first technological advantages you know, we have opposable thumbs but also we stood up we learned to walk on two legs and what that did um I suppose is, is is a big question and there's obviously a lot of speculation, but I think it led to us being able to the horizon changed. We were no longer looking at the ground and crooking our neck up to the horizon. We were looking between the stars and the ground and the horizon was our permanent sight line. So suddenly we could navigate by the stars and we could look try to walk straight lines in the landscape towards fixed points that we wanted to 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 travel towards. So walking kind of began then and wayfaring. You know, it used to be how we survived. Our societies, yeah. for the longest amount of history, were nomadic. Very recently, we've started farming and settling and building these homes that we stay in. Um, so there's the, the, the tradition of walking as a lifestyle, you know, is deep, deep within us and an important part of who we are and what we do as a species. So that's really what I meant. And wayfaring is, is that. It's walking, not for leisure, Not for exercise, not necessarily for healing, but simply as transport. Mm. It's, you know, the core, the fundamental human mode of transport is walking. Mm. And that is what I say is wayfaring. Today, I'd add a layer to that. I would say that off road walking is the most traditional form of wayfaring because obviously what we have as transport routes are typically the tarmac, car, driven roads that's there's nothing traditional about that you know it's they're to be avoided at all costs in the modern walking practices mm. you, you, don't, you don't you know a terrible place noise dirt, yeah. pollution danger you know the most yeah. dangerous places in the world hospitals and roads that's where you die <laughs> yeah, no, so no. Like, avoid them if you can so um wayfaring is, is is that tradition it's it's walking for transport and within that there's you know all sorts of other traditions have emerged. Wayfarers have, have, have had all motivations, yeah. whether they're messengers or pilgrims or um, peddlers, you know, people who sell sure. on, the, on the path. Um, returning shipmen from this, in Britain, shipmen on the roads was a, it was a huge part of the wayfaring tradition. Um, and there's the, the, what I like most about wayfaring is there's an implied morality to it, because how well will you fare you know, will you fare well or will you fare badly? There's a, I love the idea that there's there's a performative sort of good and bad result that you get. It's built into the word itself. So there's an, there's a requirement to do your best, to, to, to fare as well as you can within wayfaring, and that's the creative aspect of journey making. You know, you take yeah. a holiday, you take a pill, but you make a journey, you make a pilgrimage. Yeah. It's it's this creative act. So I love how that's built in to wayfaring. So it's a simple right now. On the wayfaring tip, right now, I would I want there to be, I believe it's the gross transport industry of, of the 21st century because it's got all the advantages for your health, mental and physical. It's got a whole load of community advantages. It's, you know, almost, it's low to no cost, which is going to really make a difference as we enter this forthcoming recession period. You know, people still need to get about. And it's incredibly low impact ecologically. You know, there's nothing comes close. To the the ecological benefits of, of walking, no Tesla, you know, touches it. As, you know, yeah, you know, it's 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 the perfect way to travel for the modern era, and I think there's going to be a real return to that um, yeah. and walking communities because we can't we can't carry on with this this car addiction that we have. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, we're not going to be able to afford it, you know, on all sorts of levels. So. So wayfaring, I'm really interested in, and I believe that the consciousness of pilgrimage and a lot of the benefits of pilgrimage and in, in the modern revival form can just kind of slip into the everyday mm. practices of modern societies. That's, that's my great hope, that we can, we can integrate the, the beauty and joy of pilgrimage in just yeah. daily travel.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I want to take a, a, a little sort of existential tangent, if I can. Right, please, please. wayfaring. I think, um, by virtue of the definition that you just gave us, is part of the human spirit, right? Uh, um, so, how does then spirituality feature in your analysis of pilgrimage, and and in turn that history of searching with intention? Uh-huh.
2: Okay, Dan, well, I'm going to turn to, uh, you, you know, I come from a, a musical tradition primarily, yeah. and that's in the, the way I pray, approach pilgrimage and wayfaring, the, the benefits and the connections it offers, I, I give my acronym of choice is SONG, S-O-N-G, and that's the layers of, of connection that these kinds of journeys offer you. So S is the self, you know, you start with, when you make a long journey on foot or even a middle or short distance journey on foot, you're connecting with your body in ways that in our sedentary lifestyles, we often forget, you know, how muscles attach to bones and what it feels like to put your back into a hill. That physical reality to get the blood flowing, yeah. you know, you know how good it is for us walking. Yeah. It's, like it's a wonderful hill. We invented it today as a therapy with, you know, be billionaires. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's, it's very, very good for your, for your body. It's what we're made for essentially in terms of physicality, um, and and then there's the mental health benefits which are well documented. So self, you know, walking is pilgrimage wayfaring is it's very good for the self. And then there's oh, others. It's also incredibly beneficial for the communities through which you pass. I think I think of pilgrims as like earthworms turning the soil of community. You meet people, you greet them, you you say hello to and catch eye contact with all the people you see and and you you witness these these other communities. We generally live quite stratified social existences in, in the Western world. We tend to hang out with people of similar income strata. You know, we live in homes surrounded by similar kinds of homes. Whereas people with you know a lot more or a lot less tend to be in other areas. And so we have these this isolated social strata, which doesn't you know ring true, doesn't seem to be part of modernity. But that's actually still very much built in. Whereas pilgrimage or wayfaring allows you to pass through all of these different groups. You you greet people from all walks of life, and you meet them, and they meet you. And, and you get to be the symbol of freedom, and the symbol of... It, it's quite an incredible privilege, actually, to, mm. you know, people trust the Wayfarer, so many times people have just started talking to me as I'm walking along and telling me these family secrets, you know, and like, oh, and she did this and my daughter-in-law did this. And and then after about 20 minutes of them just nattering away, you say, oh, it was lovely to meet you. And they turn and say, oh gosh, what was I even saying to you? You know, there's this ability to open up to the pilgrim because you're passing through. You're not part of the locality sticking around. You're not a threat. Mm -hmm. You're just a temporary sort of blessing on the place. And, you know, there's no wonder that in so many traditions, they've said, you know, the, the wonder of the pilgrim might be Jesus, you know, treat them as Jesus, because you don't know, or or in other traditions, you know, Thor or Odin, you don't know on a winter's night, a traveler could be, you don't know who you're welcoming. So that 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 spiritual basis for the hospitality is right there. So, so you've got self and you've got others, the S and the O, then there's the N of song, which is nature, you know, the mm. non-human, yeah. which reconnects us to, The essential reality of of, of life on earth is not a human construct. And it's very easy to forget that. Um, We have our cars and our houses and our roads and our offices and our screens. We kind of only see the human made stuff, but there's this vast background of not human. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important. One of the great advantages of pilgrimage and wayfaring is that we can go back there. We can realize that, hey. There's a lot fewer birds singing this year or hey this yeah. river's not very clean that's not a good thing is it actually well you know i really love the way this little waterfall is here and how there's no cars around here mm. and you start you, you know we're not going to save our, our planetary ec- ecological future by signing a facebook petition we're going to sign it by we're going to save all that by meeting it in yeah. person yeah. learning to love it and then learning the value of it and then realizing There's no way you're going to let that forest be cut down. It's unacceptable, you know, because you've been there, because you know it, because you love it. So encounter and experience in that non-human natural world is is the only way we're ever going to be good custodians of the garden we've inherited. You know, we we need to actually get out there. In order to help it, we need to go there. So that's a really important aspect Mm, of... That's nature. And, yeah, that's S-O-N. And then G is God. You know, or goodness, if you, if you, if it's easier for you to take that word, and that's the spiritual there. It's also, you know, gratitude and and gifts, but it's it's the godlet the spiritual, the beyond nature. You know, the bigger, the even greater picture. And obviously, mm. that's been one of the, you know, most religions have found a way that pilgrimage enhances their message. It it, it just it works as a spiritual practice. It lets us strip away the distractions of life. You know all those things we typically do, and lets us really focus on what for us is important. And there's no, there's you know, so many saints and holy people in history have used pilgrimage as a way to sharpen their focus and encounter with God. And it's because it's a, it's a functional technology. You know, Mm -hmm. pilgrimage works for that, and so it deepens your relationship with God by whatever name you choose to call God. So those, those are my you know i I gave it the song it's amazing an an australian an australian actually gave me this he said well the thing is well you can do it the other way around you know and if you turn it backwards make god your first then nature then others and put yourself last that's gnos which is the uh, greek for wisdom you know and and the gnostics the gnostics you know so so (laughs) yeah so (laughs) even you do the sort of jolly sort of it's all me going outwards or you do god coming inwards both ways around, you know, it's it's a, it's a good roadmap for
1: pilgrimage, in my opinion. I, I read one of your posts on social media. You, you wrote water questions. You said, in the year oh. ahead, what waters shall be your destinations on foot? What shall mm. you offer? Song, dance, gifts, meditation. Will you immerse mm-hmm. and or drink? And are river sources the most efficient places to bless whole landscapes? Mm. And I, I absolutely I like that. loved that uh. be, because to me, rivers are special places. I don't, it doesn't matter where I am in the world. If I walk to the edge of a river, I feel like, oh, it's, it's, It's
2: always a place of calm for me. Of course, Australians, it's even more important in your landscape, isn't it? The river is even more of a a vein of life, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take us through that.
1: What what were you talking about (laughs) when you wrote about river sources and the most efficient places
2: to bless whole landscapes? Well, okay, before I go there, just, just... If pilgrimage is a sort of a a practice of wayfaring, and wayfaring is an inheritance of of nomadic traditions, right throughout all of those practices, if you're journeying on foot in a land without taps, which is everywhere 400, 120 years ago, Mm. your water source was crucial infrastructure for your health and for the ongoingness of your journey. You cannot avoid seeking out... Good, clean water so that has happened since the first people ever arrived in this landscape and that the accretion of of um awareness of the blessings of that water is, is never gone away those network of holy wells are, or water sources mm. it remains an integral part of the practice of pilgrimage although again with the you know in in england in britain the Catholic tradition of holy water was again one of those aspects of spiritual practice that Anglicanism sort of cut off, you know, so so again there's that, and then it, it got a bit of a, got of a, became a bit of a new agey thing which is not easy for the Church of England to accept, you know, there's a little bit of tension there as well, but regardless of all of that stuff, water sources, and rivers, I mean, what can I say? They are, they are the ultimate roads. Before we had overland tracks of any yeah, note in, yeah. this, in this land, we travelled by river. Yeah. You know, that's just how people, how people got around everywhere. I've got a wonderful old map of the oldest road map in England from 1360, and it has these little red lines showing the connection between all places, but really it has these big blue roads to yeah. the rivers, and that, that's how we got around ultimately. Um, and a lot of what I do... Has been informed by by holy wells. I carry a, a water purifier now, um, the MSR Guardian. Very posh, very <laughs> nice, and it uh, it takes out the viruses. But I've I've drunk out of medieval holy wells. I found sort of uh, you know, you know those funny dog poo bags that people wrap up the dog poo in a plastic bag and they hang it on a tree for mm. a Christmas tree. Coming yeah. across that, it's a it's a plague out here. <laughs> people chuck some in a holy well, you know. So I I fished them out, and as you know, then this. I refuse to back off. I've drunk the River Thames water in London with this thing. Goodness! It's, like, it's a it's, it's a really powerfully cleansing device. It <laughs> takes out the viruses, you know. It takes out microscopic like 0.2 micron filter. Um, so with one of them, you can you can drink anything. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and and I do because there's a. You know, the, the putting the water inside of you—it's like this, this wholesome. It's lovely to meet the wells and to look at them, the water flowing. It's lovely to stand near to a river. It's also really lovely to put your hands in and to feel that. It's also mm. really lovely to put your whole body in and yeah. to actually immerse—a sort of auto baptism, if you will. Mm. But what is my favourite is that when is when you safely put that water inside of you. It's like the whole journey how deeply are you going to connect with your journey, with the landscape of self, other, nature, and God? How, how far will you go in that immersion? And, and, and holy wells or water sources or rivers are a really good way to sort of go further, go yeah, deeper, yeah, yeah. get in there. I mean, I mean, baptism's been an integral part of the Christian tradition forever. And in fact, just, at, just 10 miles from where I am now, there's the oldest... A continuously used church in the English-speaking world, which is a bit of a weird mouthful of a claim, but there it is, St Martin's on the edge of Canterbury, and it's where it's where King Ethelbert was first baptised by Saint Augustine in 597 AD, and that caused the beginning of you know the Christianisation of of England. Yeah. You know, the king, what the king did, everyone else did afterwards, and he was baptised in this in in a water that was probably the spring that still flows just outside the front door of the church. But these days, it flows out of a little hole in the wall in the sunlight for about a second, you know, 30 centimetres, and straight into this dark drain where it disappears underground again forever. And there's nothing to honour it. There's nothing to mark the importance of that water source in the spiritual history of England. And, And yet there it is. It Actually, if you look at it right, that water would be the reason the church itself was built. Yeah. The water was there first, you know, and then they would have, it would have been a pre-Christian tradition to, because the water, yeah, as I say, it's integral pilgrimage or life infrastructure. You can't go without a water source. And then you build the church there because, you know, people are honouring it and it becomes part of the baptism ritual. And there it is. It's this, mm. we, we forget just how important water sources are and have been in our landscape especially the pilgrimage landscape um i discovered a route actually from southampton to canterbury which is called the old way back in 2015 after about 10 years of looking for it i found it on, on this ancient roadmap and one of my best things i've ever done in pilgrimage but i'm gonna probably i don't know how the time is but maybe we'll end with this tale if i may the best things I've ever did in pilgrimage was a. Uh, the first time I walked from Southampton to Canterbury on the old way, mm. which is a 220-mile route following the South Downs rather than the North Downs of where the Pilgrims were, um, and there's a lot more evidence to say that that route was a used by pilgrims of all kinds. We've got actual, real, historic evidence from the itineraries of monks from uh, the the take the. Tracks walked by saints, by pilgrim badges along the way, by all sorts of monasteries with traditions of hospitality along the way. Um, and and right at the beginning, in Southampton, there yeah. is the oldest municipally owned um, water supply system in Britain, and it's known as the coal well. And it's still there, and it still flows, and it's this incredible beehive structure, stone beehive structure built by the Franciscans back in 1211, given to the people of Southampton, and it provided all of Southampton's water for five, six hundred years, and it was an absolutely vital part of what it meant to be in that place, in Southampton, you know, kings and vagabonds and pilgrims and soldiers, the people setting off on Mayflower, the people, the soldiers going to Agincourt, wow. uh, on, you know, they all have drunk this water, but today it's it's not destroyed, but it's just in an armpit of woods, behind some allotments, by some developments, fenced off you know those woods are full of needles and all sorts of fun it's not not a wholesome place and there behind the fences it it still flows out this ancient water source this this ancient infrastructure of you know of of real of britain of the the wholeness and the heritage of britain it still flows but it's almost entirely forgotten okay so that's the beginning of the route and then at the end of the route in canterbury you have you know canterbury is kind of one of the great hotspots of british pilgrimage the house of saint thomas you know we talk about saint james and the camino the great british tradition was saint thomas who was um murdered in the cathedral um Mm. 800 and 850 years ago last year um big things yeah and and the way that thomas worked his great modus operandi of, of miracles and healing was known as the blood of saint thomas and pilgrims were mostly who went there weren't allowed to access the actual shrine, which was covered in gold. At the least part of it was gold. It had, you know, the regal of France, the biggest ruby in the world. It was an incredible sight of wealth, and the common pilgrim could look from afar, but couldn't go anywhere near it. But what they could do, the sort of the connection they could make, was they were allowed. The only souvenir they were actually allowed for 200 years was to take away the blood of Thomas, which was the well water from the old monastic well in Canterbury Cathedral, which miraculously ran red at his death. And, and that same day had its first healing miracle when a local townsperson gave his paralysed wife a, a drop of this water mixed with a rag soaked in Beckett's blood. And she was healed and she could walk again. And so began this documented series of healing miracles associated with Thomas and his water. And he became known as the best doctor of the worthy sick. So much of historic Canterbury pilgrimage was about people going to get well, healing, wholeness through this water. And at the Reformation, the, the um, commissioners of Henry VIII and Thomas Cromwell th- found the water source, and they made the claim that the monks had been fraudulent all along. They'd been putting red ochre in it to, to fake the blood. And, and, and it disappeared, and the tradition ended, and no one knew where this holy water was and back in 2018 when i first walked this route from southampton to canterbury which i think is you know one of the great lost traditional pilgrimages of yeah. of, of england when i got to canterbury i found this, this old map of the uh, the 1150 waterworks commissioned by prior Wilbert to improve the water su- supply to Canterbury. And there in Latin, there's this thing called said putius, which means well. It was only the only thing marked well. It was a very particular location, and it had written next to it in Latin, um, uh, basically say, when all the other sources run dry, you can rely on this source to fulfil the daily offices. And I was like, well, if that's the main ancient well, the, the fail-safe well, that is probably... The, the well that 20 years later became the one that was, you know, made famous by the blood of Thomas, um, because there was another well marked. What? And if we follow the lo- if we follow the logic that, uh, that that St Martin's the spring was there long before the church, and the church was cited because of its proximity to the spring, there's a very good chance that this well, if it is a special one, was actually there before the cathedral and predated, and was the reason the cathedral itself was there because and, and, and I went and I, I sort of worked out from the map where it would have been. I was tapping with my Pilgrim staff, clink, clink, clink. And I got to the spot and I tapped those flagstones and went boom, boom. It was hollow all underneath. And there was a little grill, uh, just, you know, a tiny little water grill thing. Just next to it says Dauntless on it. And, I, and, you, and I, got to, I lifted it off and there at the bottom, even though it was the hottest summer we've had for years, there's no, you know, no rain at all. There at the bottom, this little grill was water. And it just had to reach my arm down this sort of grotty drain, basically. But down at the bottom, there it was, the actual water on the actual spot marked on the maps. And I got my purifying filter, and I pumped some up, and I drunk some, and it tasted of iron, of blood. You know, no. they call that the, yeah, the chalabit water, which is really that's rare. and fantastic. In of, you know, this the red, the red spring, as it were. And in my opinion, that's, you know, that, and I spoke to I don't know I should really hardly say this but I have spoken to the, the high authorities at the cathedral and they have told me that yeah that's it that is the actual water source that's the awesome. well of St Thomas the blood of Thomas and we don't talk about it they say because the Anglican Church just isn't ready for that kind of a sort of a tradition yet but there it was and, and I got to pump it out and drink it and and wow. I mean that just that totally opened you know this so yeah, pilgrimage, water, healing, faith, yeah. journeys—they all intertwine, and I and, think that and, we really need to bring the waters, we help the waters engage with with that tradition yeah. once more because it's so fundamental to to our to our physical, community, natural, and possibly even spiritual health as as a species. I'm, I'm a full full-on believer that we need to look after the waters. You know, that's that's crucial. So. So that's my little, little. That's what I've got to say about water. And I made up a lovely song, by the way, which I'll share with you. Um, would you like, would you like a little water song for pilgrims? Can I oh, give you that? Go right ahead. Go ahead. I'd love you to. Great. Can I actually sing it for real? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. It goes. Um, water flows. Life is given. Rises from a. Falls from heaven, water flowing, so we sing, bless the Holy Spring. And it carries on loops and loops and loops, you know, it's a, it's oh, a looping song. But uh, it's fantastic. Well, I've had sort of like 100 pilgrims around the Holy World singing that together as we oh all pass gosh. the cup around. <laughs> it's a, yeah, so there's a, there's a really fruitful overlap between the, the New Age traditions, between the old Catholic traditions and between the, the modern heritage reality of this landscape that uh and water is at the center of all of that and i think that pilgrims should as they travel you know offer their respects to the water sources because they kept us alive our ancestors alive and they're and they're keeping our ecosystems alive today and there's a number of ways to honor that one of which as you mentioned is to go to a source of the river yeah. And if you can sing a song, a blessing song to the sorcerer, if you, if you can offer some pure silver or oh, some wonderful. kind of a gift that's fitting, then perhaps that blessing will travel and um, meander through wonderful. the landscape and be carried all the way to the sea. And, you know, yeah, it may be a gesture, it may be symbolic, but so much of reality is symbolic and that's, gesture-based. So, It's so it.
1: fantastic, <laughs> Will. Oh, my gosh. Look, mm. we're going to finish with a song you sang at the Hive of in Kent. He's uh, singing alongside your friend Guy Hayward. And mm-hmm. I found a piece on your website, A awalkaroundbritain.com, and you wrote, humans are the upright strollers of the great monkey family. Walking mm. is our species' root technology and great advantage. It defines our kind. And... Just talking to you, I mean, we've been talking for a long time now. I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to share your journey with us. Um, You've obviously done a lot of thinking about your pilgrimage and how you can make the most of your journey and your sharing with others. And you perhaps haven't thought about it. Maybe you have, but let me say this to you. It's a great gift that you offer to us, to all of us. Thank you, Dan. Thank Thank, you. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, I I wish in some way um, the world wasn't locked down and our paths would cross perhaps next week, but they're not going to. (laughs) But in time we can sing a song or two together, I'm sure. In the meantime, thank you for your scholarship and dedication to what you love
2: and the love you well, share. Dan, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. And I just, like, final thing I'd like to say, if I may, is that there, there is a, a tradition. Wayfaring can happen even during lockdown. And that's something I'm working on launching very soon it's essential wayfaring, which it means little more than travel on foot via the most beautiful paths you can to buy food from the shops. And then you might think, what a trite and non-epic, not very pilgrimagey thing that is. <laughs> but actually, that is one of the oldest forms of travel we've had. You know, nomadism was motivated wholly by acquisition of food. You know, we, we travel with the herd, we travel with the seasons in order to feed ourselves. So if you can, walk from your home during pandemic, during lockdown, you know, one less car journey polluting our atmosphere, you know, that much more exercise, that much more witnessing the communities around you, enjoying their physical and mental health benefits. You can even consider it a pilgrimage because for a lot of people, you know, Sunday shopping trip is a sort of spiritual yeah. wholeness, you know, not necessarily a healthy version, but maybe maybe there is something good that we can take from that. But you know, walking to the shops, I think it could be the essential backstop for our liberty and for our pilgrimage traditions and for our wayfaring traditions that you know, we need to, as a, as a regrowth point, when we finally get beyond this pandemic, because I can't see a very... Currently, as you said, it's hard to imagine how we're going to snap out of this. Vaccines, mm. you know, will only go so far. We're still going to need social distancing and masks. You know, it, it's it's in us now. We've got yeah. the virus. So so keeping the, the core tradition, the hope and the joy of pilgrimage, integrating it more into our everyday lives is actually yeah. a huge opportunity and a blessing that we can we can create from this rather terrible situation. But so that's we- the last thing I'd like to leave. Walk to the shops, call it essential wayfaring, consider it pilgrimage, go the most beautiful route you can. And, you know, that's something that we can all do at this time and it will genuinely help. You know, it's going to be, it's outside, so there's no risk of, lesser risk of COVID transmission. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the benefits of UV and vitamin D, it boosts immunity. Um, you're not going to garages, which are mass transmission hotspots, let's be honest, so, so you're outdoors the whole time. So it's healthy, it's COVID safe, it's a, a beautiful reintroduction to the tradition. Maybe we can actually prompt a really important reset of our itinerant journeying on foot, wayfaring and pilgrimage traditions through this time of apparent loss of liberty. Maybe we can find that kernel of a truer, purer liberty that we might have otherwise forgotten. And that's where I'd like to leave this. Brilliant. Oh, my
1: gosh. Will, that was absolutely incredible. Thank you, my friend. Let me finish by saying, Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Walk well, Dan. Walk well. My guest this week, and indeed last week, William Parsons. You can find Will by his music and share and enjoy his story at a walkaroundbritain.com. We'll finish with Will and his friend Guy singing The Life of Man, a traditional song recorded in the Hythe Ossuary in Kent. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.
0: As I was a-walking one morning at ease A-viewing the leaves as they hung from the trees they were all in motion or appearing to be and the leaves that were withered they fell from the tree was the life of a man anymore his season so why should we grieve although in this life we are fine and gay like the leaves we must wither and soon fade away if you'd seen the leaves just a few days ago They were all in full motion and appearing to grow. The frost came upon them and withered them all. The rain came upon them and down they did fall. What's the life of a man anymore? Man has his season, so why should we grieve? Although in this life we appear fine and gay, like the leaves we must wither and soon fade away. Go down yonder churchyard, many names there you'll see. All have fallen from this world like the leaves from a tree. When age and affliction upon us to call, like the leaves we must wither, and down we
2: must. So... Oh.